Mac Power Users, episode 397, iOS 11 Continued and High Sierra. Hello, everyone. It's David Sparks along with my pal, the one, the only, Katie Floyd. How are you doing today, Katie? Well, with that kind of introduction, how could I do anything but fantastic? Well, I don't know. You sound like you're in a good mood. The, the the storms aren't blowing through Florida. Marie has taken a turn. She's going the other way. Good for you. So everything's good. And last week we were, I don't know what we were thinking, that we would be able to cover the Apple event and all of iOS 11 in one show, but of course we could not. Uh, so, so this week we've got actually a pretty full outline. We're going to finish talking about uh, what's new in iOS 11, what our experiences are with it through the beta and as it launches. And uh, maybe spend a little time talking about High Sierra, which will be out just days after the show publishes. So uh, I guess we should just get started, Katie Floyd. Well, before we do, I have a preliminary question for you. Okay. What, what, if anything, have you ordered since the last time we spoke? Oh, I have ordered a brand shiny new Apple TV. That's it? You ordered an Apple TV? Yeah. Like the least interesting announcement of last week? That's what you well, ordered? I, you know, I don't know. I mean... that's all I really need. I have a nice watch. I have a, uh, but I have a 4k TV. So let's see how it goes. I don't think my TV has much in the, in the field of HDR support. So I don't know if I, if I wasted money, but I I bought a new Apple TV. How about you? So I, I bought an Apple watch. I bought a, uh, a series three stainless steel, which means it does have the cellular connectivity, but I'm not really sure I'm going to connect that up. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about that. I, I do have a 4k TV as well, but I have a fairly inexpensive 4k TV. So I think I need to go read up on the specs to my TV and, and see if it would really do me any good to have a, um, you know, a, an Apple TV 4k, uh, you know, I may get one at some point. I may put it on the Christmas wish list, but it's, it's not a must buy for me right now. You can probably go in the store and buy one in a week or two. Um, a friend of mine bought an Apple watch and reported to me that she, her ship date was like a month, but she could do in-store pickup on launch day. So, uh, apparently, uh, they're more available than usual. Well, my watch, I of course set my alarm cause you know, it's 3am here. Cause so I set my alarm for, so the key is, is you have to order it through the, um, through the Apple store app. So what you do is you go in beforehand, uh, but at least 12 hours or so beforehand, because the Apple store goes offline early. You go in beforehand, favorite the one that you're interested in, set an alarm, refresh the app, sometimes force quit the app, come back in, order it, pay with Apple Pay, make sure everything's all set up, and that's your best shot at getting what you want. So I ordered the Stainless Steel Series 3 watch, thinking it would be no big deal. I was in and out. It was my smoothest experience ever. And then when I woke up at my regular time several hours later that morning, I saw that watches were still available, but that particular watch was not. So I think certain of them were supply constrained. So I still got mine on um, on delivery day. I know it's a a lot. I think it's two or three hundred dollars extra to get the stainless. And um, and I did that with my Series 2 watch and I'm really glad I did it. I just I really like the look of the stainless steel watch. I didn't think I would be that into it. And um, I just really like the look of it. So I'm glad you did stainless as well. Well, we're going to talk more about uh, watchOS 4, which is available on all the new watches and available now for people who have older watches um, a little bit later. But let's dig in and finish talking up about iOS 11 because we didn't really get to dive that deep last show. Yeah, we didn't. Um, We did mention Face ID, just a a little bit of follow up from last week. I don't want to save this for the uh, follow up show because it's so timely. We talked about Face ID and nobody was really sure about it. Since we recorded that show, 
Craig Federighi, Apple's uh, uh, software uh, VP, um, Grand Poobah, whatever his title is. He's the guy in charge of software at Apple. And the guy who flubbed the Face ID intro. Uh, you know, I'm, he didn't I know, flub it. I know. He I explained know. it. But anyway, uh, the guy who who is in charge of software at Apple has been making the rounds in interviews. And uh, the stuff he's been saying, I believe, he says it's really great. Um, the, the one thing that he's added to the conversation that all of us are wondering is what happens if you get the new phone and you swipe up before it identifies your face? I mean, are you going to have to look at it to unlock it and then swipe up to get to the to the home screen? And that's not the case. You can just pick up the phone and swipe up and it will unlock simultaneously, which to me is uh, something that's kind of a big deal. So I'm glad that that they figured that out. Yeah, and a couple of other tidbits we got. And and by the way, I know that Craig did not flub the the Face ID intro, and I'm sure he feels horrible about what's happened, which is part of the reason why he's making the rounds, talking to everybody about it. And just in case you didn't know what happened, uh, the uh, what ha- because Face ID, just like Touch ID, if it has a certain number of negative um, attempts, it will it'll default to the the unlock code. And what happened was they were on stage and there was a bunch of different people cleaning the phones before the presentation started. Face ID kept trying to say, is that Craig? No, that's not Craig. Is that Craig? No. And it did that enough times that it said, okay, I don't believe Craig's here. So I'm just going to make you put your passcode in. And, and that's what happened. Cause you know, those phones have to be super shiny for the Apple event, but you know, live and learn. But a couple of other tidbits that came out. One is face ID will work with most sunglasses I think it kind of depends on the polarization and how dark they are because it can, you know, somewhat with the infrared sensor, it can see through them to see if you're giving it its attention. And he explained it's not polarization. It's the it's the amount of infrared blocking. It's infrared that's the problem. Um, the other thing that he explained is that for uh, people who have perhaps accessibility issues, if you're perhaps blind or maybe you have a prosthetic eye or another reason that it may be difficult for you to to give the iPhone attention you can turn that off as an accessibility option so that you don't have to be staring at the iPhone or looking at it with both eyes for it to recognize you. Slightly less secure, but easier. So good. Yeah, I think those were the big ones, right? Yeah, I think we got it. Um, but but let's talk about iOS 11 because we really spent the time last week talking about the improvements to the iPad, but not kind of the overall improvements. And the uh, the one thing that we one of the things we didn't get to last week that I think is super important with iOS 11 is the new control center. Um, we've had the control center for years. You swipe up from the bottom. Uh, I have this kind of universal disdain for the control center layout. I feel like they've never really got the control center right. Um, and the iOS 10 control center was by far my least favorite. Um, if you may recall in iOS nine, you would swipe up and they had everything in one place. It was kind of a jumbled mess, but it was in one place. And their solution in iOS 10 was to give you three different control center screens. So like if you wanted to do media controls, you'd have to swipe up and then swipe to the right. So there are two swipes to get to the media controls. I was never a fan of that system. I think most people didn't know you could swipe. Yeah, so, so so then people just thought that the media controls just dropped out of control center because it never occurred to them to swipe to the to the right or to the left to see them. Uh, so I I was never a big fan. Uh, but so the new version is interesting. Um, it's it's kind of two different iterations. They they did get it all on one screen. Hooray! Um, uh, and they also uh, made it a little different for iPad versus iPhone. Now, on the iPhone, it is just a control center. It just got the control center stuff on it. Uh, on They do take advantage of 3D touch. 
so like if you if you open control center and you 3d touch on the flashlight you can change this the um, intensity of the flashlight uh, on the iPad they combine control center with the um with the mission control so you get to see the various screens that you have and the spaces you've created that we talked about last week for multitasking uh, that's con- combined with the control center um overall i'll say i'm a fan of the new control center but but what one of the things i really like is that they have added additional kind of i'll call them applets uh to control center uh, and these are little buttons you can tap on to jump into an application or do basic controls uh, we've got a lot of uh, home kit stuff in the sparks house so the home kit control center button is very useful to uh, do common switches. Uh, the Apple TV remote is found that way. So these are apps that that were super useful to you, but often you would put on your home screen and it would always bug you a little bit. You had to use a home screen spot for that. Well, now all this stuff is sliding into control center, which is just one swipe away. You can take some of those apps off your, um, your, your launch pad on your phone. Uh, and in addition, uh, you they've got new apps that just don't exist anywhere else. One of them is screen recording. So if you have a funny bug in an app, you can just swipe it up and and record the screen. The stuff I do with fancy cables and screen flow and all the stuff I do to make screencasts. And you can make a quick little screencast right there on your device. And these are great for tutorials. If you're trying to show somebody how to do something, it's so much easier to show them rather than tell them and then shoot it right off to them, a quick screen recording. And you alluded to this, David, but I don't think you, you outright said it. Um, the control center is highly customizable. So if you never want to use screen recording, you don't have to see that on your control center. You can save that space for something else or you can remove it completely. So if you go into the uh, system preferences, I'm sorry, settings, if you go into settings, um, there's now a whole settings related to control center and you can customize the controls to add some of them are there by default, you know, so for example, the uh, cellular radios and the now playing list and the volume and the uh, brightness, those are all there by default, but you can customize things like, do you want the flashlight? Do you want the calculator? Do you want the camera? Do you want the homes um, access to your home kit devices? Um, and, and there are several in there that you can add or remove to either save space or just add buttons. Uh, you can't use third-party apps yet. Like, for instance, I would love to be able to replace the calculator with PCALC at the uh, control center. That haven't got that far yet, but I feel like now that they've got a modular system where an app can have a switch control center, it seems to me like it's only a question of time before they let third-party app developers get on that list, just like they did you know, with some of the other components of iOS. So I, I think this is a big improvement. The the uh, the video thing, in addition to being useful if you make videos like I do, it's also super useful for just helping out your non-geek family. My sister called me and her, her Apple Mail account was turned off. You know, she had accidentally turned the switch off and she was asking me to explain it to her on the phone. And I'm like, oh, I, I got this. I just opened up my phone. I started recording, I went to the preference, I showed her where the switch is and I sent her the video and then she was able to take care of the problem herself when she saw the video. So um, I think this is going to be really useful. Yeah, I agree. I, I really like this control center still isn't perfect. There's still some things I wish it could do better. I wish I could customize the controls because, you know, depending on how much stuff you have in it, that now playing can still be a little out of reach if you have smaller hands and a bigger phone. But I think it is a tremendous improvement from the previous control center. Yeah, I agree. I, the The three pane thing just never worked. I mean, I, I usually get used to a control center, but 
every time I'd swipe up the uh, the iOS 10 control center and it didn't have the controls I wanted on it, then I had to start hunting for them. Uh, I just didn't like that. I, I feel like I always felt like that they could have done a better job and, and they did. Uh, the, the, the cost of that is like the media controls are a lot smaller on control center with iOS 11, but anything on it that looks too small for you, try force pressing it and you will find that it um, quite often expands to something bigger. So it's a big improvement. I'm glad we're making progress with Control Center. What about the new lock screen? That's another thing that a lot of people um, went, got a little crazy about during the beta, frankly. Well, and I think it's improved, and I will tell you that it's growing on me. So the way that the lock screen now works is there's really not a whole lot of difference between the lock screen and notification center. They are kind of one and the same, but I kind of like that because often I would go on my phone and I, I would see a notification come by and then it would disappear. And I would be like, Oh, you know, I, I wanted to see that. What, what was that? Um, and now it's a whole lot easier to go back and, and find those things. Um, so the, the new lock screen is really growing on me and it seems like they've made it a lot more useful. So for example, you were talking about the now playing widget that can now appear on the lock screen. I've noticed whenever I'm playing a podcast and overcast, um, as soon as I pick up my phone and it's locked, that now playing widget is right on front of my lock screen. So I can pause and play and move things, you know, right there, dead center, super obvious, makes it very easy to do things. Yeah, um, it's it's funny how the phone has evolved. When we first got the iPhone and you would turn it on, then you had the swipe to unlock screen and it had really nothing there except the time and the little swipey uh, switch. And then over time, they started getting more information on that. But this was in a running battle at the same time with the efficiency of face. I'm sorry, not face ID. I'm already talking about the future, Katie, uh, uh, with um the thumbprint detection, what do they call that? Touch ID. Um, so as touch ID got faster and faster, people are picking up their phone and just by habit, you lay your thumb over the button and it unlocks with touch ID and you never actually see the home screen, you know, the lock screen. So uh, then it got to a problem where people wanted to see notifications and things you could do on the lock screen, but it wasn't available. The way around that is rather than putting your thumb on the, um, the home screen button, just just hit the sleep wake button on the right side or as of one or two years ago, I believe it was iOS 10 that this started. You just pick up the phone and it, it shows you the lock screen without you touching anything, which is great. And there are still some privacy implications of this. And I think Apple has taken into account. So if your if your phone is locked, you're not going to see certain notifications and you should probably go in and tweak some of your settings to make sure. But I've specifically set mine not to show previews of text messages and, and email messages on my lock screen because I don't want someone just to be able to look at my phone or pick it up and see those. And if you're not aware, uh, there's a lot you can do with that lock screen. Not only can you pull down to see your notifications, uh, you can swipe to the left to see your widgets. And then if you swipe to the right, when you're on that lock screen, it just opens the camera up for you and it's ready to take a picture. And that's one, every time I do that in front of someone who who, you know, they're always shocked when they're like, what, what did you just do? All you have to do is pick up your phone, swipe the screen to the right. And suddenly you're able to take pictures. It's, it's much faster than even putting the camera app on your, on your home screen. It gets you there even faster. So, uh, spend some time, figure out the lock screen. I always feel like, uh, uh listeners, uh, don't take enough advantage of some of those lock screen and widget screens. There's a lot of stuff in there that can make you more efficient. 
And, you know, if you haven't looked at them yet, Apple has released a series of tutorials on their, I believe they're on their YouTube channel. I'm not sure if they're on their website anywhere, but they're through their YouTube channel and they are just really adorable tutorials. They're specifically focused on how to use iOS 11 on the iPad, but a lot of those things are also applicable to the iPhone as well. It's interesting to me that Apple is getting back in the business of teaching people how to use their devices. Uh, When the iPhone first released, I don't know if you re- do you remember what was his name Greg? They had some guy that did a bunch of tutorial videos on the iPhone uh, two or three days before the first iPhone was released. And the guy had glasses, you know, the turtleneck, you know, typical Apple look of ten years ago. Yes, yes, those videos were so good, and we I'd never seen anything like it. It I, like I couldn't sleep that night. I watched the videos. I, I was I had every intention of not getting a new iPhone. You know, I was happy with my trio, but. I saw those videos and I literally couldn't sleep. I had to get one so badly. And uh, and then over the last few years, they've gotten more into kind of fancy marketing that doesn't really teach people how to use the stuff. And I feel like the last year or so, they've they've really been taking steps to to help people learn as these devices get more powerful. Yeah, and I think we'll see a little more of that. You know, we saw that when the Apple Watch was released as well. They started releasing some of these tutorials. Yeah, and even last week's keynote, they spent a bunch of time showing how to use the iPhone X because some of the user interface stuff had changed. All right. So anything else with the, with the new lock screen? No, I like it. It's grown on me. I I tell you, I was initially a skeptic, uh, but it has grown on me. Well, in the beta, it was kind of a mess. They, they, because on, when you get a notification on lock screen, you can swipe it to like go to it or reply to it. And they were trying to take some of that stuff out. And then they had a thing where you had to swipe twice to get to some notifications It I feel like they were getting very experimental, but realized that simpler is better. And uh, this is a feature that definitely improved with all the feedback from the beta users. Uh, Another feature that came with iOS 11, but I'm not sure there's a whole lot we can do with it right now, is AirPlay 2. And uh, this is going to be really nice when the uh, HomePod comes out. But David, I know you were really interested in this technology as a Sonos user because it seems like Apple is kind of trying to create a a more robust way for people to use AirPlay 2 enabled speakers, maybe kind of competing some with these uh, multi-room device systems. Yeah, I think it's kind of like a build your own Sonos thing if it works. Uh, and the idea of simultaneous audio is no longer something that just Sonos is doing well. Um, uh, the Amazon Echo is now doing it. You have multiple Echoes, although the speakers in them aren't very good. And uh, Apple wants to get into the space as well. I would think that Sonos can figure out some way. Maybe they make their own um, receiver, AirPlay 2 receiver, where you can plug into an existing Sonos system with this stuff. It's not proprietary. So I would think that you could do that. But uh, I just think we're kind of at an interesting time with speakers. Uh, I've heard heard several people ask me and written in saying now that I've spent all this money on these Sonos, what do I think about the, uh, you know, Apple's coming in with their own speaker? I'm super interested in all that stuff, but I still really, really like my Sonos system. I don't feel any regrets at this point. So I guess we'll see how it all plays out. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Make yourself safe on the internet today. Go to onepassword.com slash MPU in all caps to get 20% off. I don't want to sound like an alarmist, like someone who thinks the internet is full of terrible people, but you know what? The internet is full of terrible people. 
If you don't believe me, just look at this recent thing with Equifax, where they got hacked and a bunch of information for 143 million consumers was put at risk. That was terrible, and it hurts a lot of people. And you know what? That's really not the last of this kind of stuff we're going to hear about. That's why I really like our sponsor, 1Password. The world is full of these people trying to constantly hack into your information. And 1Password is a tool made by some really smart people there to protect you. With 1Password on your Mac, your iPad, and your iPhone, you can make it a lot harder for the bad guys to get at your personal information. 1Password pulls this off in a lot of ways. First, they give you safe and secure passwords. No longer do you have to use the same tired passwords at every website. Instead, every time you need a fresh new password, 1Password will cook one up for you. The password 1Password will give you will be designed so it's intentionally difficult to crack. The next thing 1Password does is then save all of those complex passwords that it creates for you so you can easily apply them no matter what website you're on and no matter what Apple hardware you're using. There's a lot more 1Password can do, and if you dig in deep with the software, you'll find out just how powerful it is. But right now, I'm talking to those listeners out there who don't have 1Password installed, and they don't have a safe and secure way to create and store passwords. And I want to gently nudge those listeners to go download 1Password, because why are you making it so easy for the bad guys? 1Password pulls off the remarkable trick of, number one, giving you passwords that are hard for the hackers to get at, and number two, making it easier for you to remember and apply them. It solves the problem and makes you safer. So head over to onepassword.com slash MPU in all caps. You get 20% off and make you and your family and your coworkers safe today. Another nice feature in the iPhone is this do not disturb mode while driving. Have you played with this at all? I am very excited about do not disturb while driving. I will tell you, I've had somewhat mixed results using it, but I think that maybe due to my own hacky system more so than the feature itself. But I, I think of all of the features announced in iOS 11, if people adopt D&D while driving, this is the one that has the greatest possibility of actually saving lives because distracted driving because people are using their cell phones is a huge problem. And, um, you know, I know it's something that I personally work on, but I have seen so many people, you know, I, I always cringe when I look in my rearview mirror and I see the person behind me on their cell phone. I, my, my wife almost got killed a few days ago. We were taking a walk and some, we were crossing the street as pedestrians and a lady, uh, barely nearly ran her over and I saw it and she was looking down at her phone while she went through a stop sign. Uh, it, it's scary. Uh, so, so what is this, what is this feature? Um, uh, Apple, it's something that you voluntarily sign up for. It doesn't turn on automatically, but it's a it's a setting you can turn on, and I recommend you turn it on. It's a kind of a good way to keep yourself honest. In fact, let's all pause right here and go together to turn on Do Not Disturb while driving. I, I've already done it. All right, I'll just sit here. You can you can we you have permission to pause the podcast. Well, we'll we'll do it together. You go into settings, and then there's a new there's a setting for Do Not Disturb that is that is there. And then if you um, scroll down, there's a new feature for do not disturb while driving. And you can activate it three different ways. One is you can activate it automatically, which means your iPhone will sense when kind of you're moving at a specific speed. So, um, you know, that can can be a good thing and a bad thing. I've, I've had some issues with it because it will also activate when you're a passenger in a car, which may or may not be an issue. Um, and I've had a couple of people say that it will... Um, 
it will activate, uh, you know, like when they're riding bikes and all. But, you know, I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing either. It does. It activates when I'm riding my bike, too. But the uh, but that's fine. It's in my pocket. So it kind of it's OK. And then the other option um, is when connected to car Bluetooth. That's the one that I have selected. I will tell you that has been hit or miss because sometimes it doesn't recognize my car as my car. But we'll see. And then there are a couple of uh, tweaks that you can tweak. You can have it auto send an auto reply, which by default says I'm driving with do not disturb while driving turned on. I will see your message when I get where I'm going. And you can have that automatically reply to no one, auto reply to people who are in your recents, auto reply to everyone in your contacts list, or just auto reply to your favorites. Yeah, I, I, I turned it on for everybody. I, I started using this uh, as soon as I put the beta. I've been on the beta for the phone about two months, and um, it's really fun seeing the replies. First, I wrote a, a custom response to that. So I think, in fact, you've, you've received it once or twice, Katie. Um, but the um, go make it custom. Don't use the same one everybody else uses. You know, have some fun with it. But it's funny to me, the twi- the uh, the text I get back, they're like, oh, sorry, sorry. You know, because it's like a paragraph long. And I think some people actually are under the impression that I'm stopping to type, that I'm driving, and blah, blah, blah. I can't respond to you. But it, it's nice. And not only does it automatically reply to messages sent to you, it also largely turns the screen off for you. So uh, most features that you would be interacting with the screen while you're driving just aren't there anymore. There's a little icon of a car. It does, however, work with certain things like driving directions show up just fine. Um, and you can activate Siri. So, I mean, the kind of hands-free stuff is still there. Uh, I like the way uh, the balance they've done. They haven't made it completely useless, the phone, while you're driving, but they have taken away distraction-type phone things from you. And I'm going to have my kids turn it on and my wife, and I, I just think it's a great idea. Now, when you go to do something that's forbidden, and this is where it helps, like, uh, if it if it turns on when you're a passenger, uh, there's a little button that says, I'm not driving. And as soon as you click that button, then for that trip, you're off the hook and you can use your phone just like usual. So it's not really much of an imposition at all. And it, like I said earlier, it's just a really good way to keep yourself honest. Now, if you can set exceptions to do not disturb while driving, if someone absolutely positively has to reach you, um, and if someone sends the word urgent, it will um, trigger an iOS notification on your device. So have you customized your auto reply to tell them that they can send you the word urgent and it will come through? Or are you just going to not tell no, people that? Because then all my clients would just write urgent. <laughs> I don't, don't want to do that. Um, the, the way I usually travel with my phone is it's in the cup holder upside down where I can just put my hand down and, and hold the Siri button. Or if I say, um, you know, the magic words to activate Siri, the microphone is close enough to where I am to activate. So, uh, usually I don't even see the screen, but I also have one of those cool RAM mount window uh, mounts. So if I'm going to use it for directions, then I'll put it up in the window. Uh, but So I don't usually see text as they come in anyway. But this is a nice way to let people know I'm driving and, and I can't deal with you right now. Uh, so I've been, like I said, I've been running a couple months. I've seen no bugs with this feature. It's not been an imposition. I haven't got out of my car and not been able to use my phone. Everything works fine. I tried it both with Bluetooth connected to my car and just whenever it thinks I'm driving, turn it on automatically. And because we have several cars in our house, I've been using that feature because I don't always drive the same car. But uh, it's nice. And like Katie said, I think it's something that would be really good for everybody to use. Yeah, I switched mine back to automatically. The, the, the problem that I had with Bluetooth, and I think this is totally... I, 
I would tell people try Bluetooth if, if you want, but my car has a third party Bluetooth adapter in it. So I think the problem was, is that it didn't recognize that my Bluetooth adapter was from a car. It just figured it was a regular speaker. So I think that was my particular problem. You know, as, as lawyers, I'm sure you've probably heard the story too, but I've certainly had uh, friends call me, uh, or like lawyer friends, you know, because we are in this business, you always hear of some very nice person that caused a terrible accident because they were being inattentive while, while on their phone. And, and, you know, the thing is that's usually a crime, you know, especially if somebody gets really hurt and, uh, you know, it's just something you don't want to carry the rest of your life. It's so easy to turn this on and just kind of let the phone help you make sure you don't get yourself into trouble. Well, and it's just, it, it ruins lives. It ruins not only the person who was hurt, but the person who did it because you know, it's just, it's just a tragedy for everyone involved. It's horrible, but we don't, we don't need to go there. And I can tell you, there's been a few times where like, I'd be driving down the road and a podcast would end or something. And I'd be like, Oh, I'll just play the next one. And, uh, usually I do it at a stop sign, but I'd hit the button and it'd say, no, 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 you're driving. I can't help you with that right now. <laughs> and I'd be like, you know what? You're right. I shouldn't. And then I just, you know, continue my trip now, but it will continue. Um, so for example, I've got a bunch of my stuff in a playlist. It, it will continue playlist. So you don't have to worry about that. Yeah. I mean, like I said, with a little bit of forethought, you can have a good experience and a safe experience. So turn it on. So let's talk about ARKit. Um, ARKit, I think, is kind of a one of those announcements that's not going to mean a lot to individual consumers immediately, but uh, will mean a lot to developers. And then we as consumers will really start to reap the benefits of ARKit later. Yeah, when I was at when I was at WWDC, somebody pulled me aside, a person that um, knows a lot about a certain fruit company, and said, "Look." All of you guys in the press are missing the story. This this whole thing, iOS 11, the biggest deal is by far AR Kit, and and this person went on to tell me how they spent you know years and years working on this at Apple, and they really think it's going to be game changer. And it's funny because I, when I first heard the announcement, I thought it was a cool technology, but I didn't see it as any kind of game changer. So basically what ARKit is, um, is it uses all of the iPhones and the iPad sensors, and it allows you to overlay virtual objects on the device's screen in conjunction with real time. So if you watched the Apple event recently, you probably saw the Tyrannosaurus Rex that was in the middle of the, the basketball game. Um, those are the types of things that are possible with ARKit. And it also allows um, developers to create really cool software tools. Like I've seen a couple that have come out, um, for example, with virtual measuring tapes or for companies that will allow you to virtually place, you know, furniture in your house to see what things will look like. I think a huge benefit of this is game development, but really the possibilities are endless. Yeah, I've already downloaded one of the tape measure apps and I'm on a beta for another one where uh, once it aligns to the floor, um, you can point it at the floor, push the button, and then move the the destination dot to some other location, push the button, and it gives you a fairly accurate measurement of how far it is. I, I'm, this is one of my weird things, Katie. Whenever I get stuck in a big room, I've done this in courtrooms or whatever, 
I'm always trying to figure out the dimensions of the room. You know, <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me, but, but if you look at the ceiling and they've got tiles in the ceiling, quite often you can make assumptions like that's a two by four foot tile. And then you start doing some math and counting tiles and, and I leave the room knowing how big the room is. I don't know what's wrong. Now, are you doing this because you're sealed in the room and you need to know how much time you have of breathable oxygen left? I mean, what, why are you doing this? I, I don't know. I just need to know that information. I can't really give you a good explanation of why, but I do that. And now I'm going to pull out my phone and truly, uh, I'm going to check my math going forward. You know, I've never had a reason to do that, but okay. Good to know. I did the same thing. I was looking the other day. I was looking at the Disneyland tram. I'm like, all right, how many people can you get in one row? How many rows are in a car? How many cars are in a, uh, in a train? All right. How many people can they move? How fast? So I'm like trying to figure out how many people they can move in an hour with all these trains. I don't know. I'm nuts. All right. Well, let me tell you what, what the app that I want and any developer out there who can do this, this is, this is my free idea to you. You you can have it just, you know, send me a code or something. I am not good at hanging pictures or hanging anything, you know, in a house. I, if you look behind all the pictures on my walls, you will find 30 holes where I've, you know, where I've, I've nailed and like, yeah, that looks a little low. Yeah. That looks a little high. I don't know about it. And I measure, even sometimes when I measure, I'm like, yeah, I don't know about that. I think I need it somewhere else. So that's what I want. I, I, and you could do that probably with AR kit. I, I want something that will say, these are, here are my pictures. This is where I want to place them. Tell me where my holes in the wall go. Yeah. Give you, it could give you a level line and give you anything to work with. Oh yeah. Cause if you have four of the exact same frames, they all hang differently. Well, Daisy, Daisy years ago, uh, came up with the, uh, the rule in the Sparks house that we, tr- we don't align anything when we hang it on the wall and the intentional, it's intentional chaos and that makes life much easier. It would, it would drive me crazy, but it works. Uh, you have to, well, when you come stay with us, we'll see, you know, it might be the slow road to madness. When you wake up the next morning, all of your pictures will be rehung, but there'll be 40 extra nail holes on the wall. I, I used to work with a lawyer who was super, super anal retentive. And um, I had a picture hanging on my wall that was crooked and he would come in and straighten it. And then every day when I'd leave, I would intentionally like make it askew again because I just got so much delight out of watching him come in every day to straighten my pictures. <laughs> anyway, um, so AR kit, getting back on message here, right? Um, the, the software is launched. If you're listening to the show, it's been out a few days and there's a bunch of cool little AR kits, Thomas the Train and some other like demonstration stuff. But I think the AR kit is, the penny is really going to drop for this in about six months because what Apple's done is they've taken all the work out of it. Before, in order to make a cool augmented reality application, you had to know a lot about augmented reality math and how to make it all work. Now, Apple has turned that essentially into a few lines of code that you can incorporate. So now anybody with an AR idea can make a credible AR application. And that's what I'm really interested in. Uh, The app developer, you know, like Greg Pierce, who made drafts, which was a different way to deal with text that we never would have had except for the iPhone. I want to I want the Greg Pierce of AR to show up and make some really cool productivity or interesting applications for us. In the meantime, if you are an owner of PCalc, um, because PCalc is PCalc, you know, it was the first calculator to have an Apple TV app. (laughs) <laughs> they have AR in the uh, calculator. Peacock. Did you know about this? I, I saw that, but I wasn't really clear the purpose just because you can, I think. Yeah, exactly. So I'm, I was dropping bananas on the kitchen floor and doing all kinds of stuff with it. It's, it's fun. You can play with it and you can walk around and it's really neat. And there'll be some great games, but 
this is one where I think we're going to have more to say about this in a few months as the uh, more interesting apps make it to light. All right. So moving on, um, we also got some updates to the built-in apps and services. Um, Photos got a couple of updates, particularly when it comes to photo effects. I don't use these all that often, so I'm not sure that I will. I will weigh in. But go. I, I'm, sh- I'm sure you will. Go ahead. Okay. We're going to talk on the High Sierra part of the show about the new uh, photo formats. They've got some new uh, file formats, but this is just a fun thing. You know that live photo thing that we've had on the iPhone now for a couple of years where you can take a picture and it takes a few seconds of video? I'm not a fan of it, but go ahead. How could you not be a fan of this, Katie? It it creates more problems than not for me, but I I will tell you the one area that I think it is cool is if you have a baby. My my cousin my cousin has a brand new baby, and I'm on the shared photo album for the baby photos. And the, I got to say, the live photos with the baby are pretty cool. Aren't you going to be an aunt soon? Can I say that? I am. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. like when you're an aunt, you're going to love it. It's so cute. And so you take a picture of the baby doing something cute, and you're just taking pictures, but it turns out cute videos of the babies and um they've got a couple features there the first is a loop feature so you can just make it run in a loop over and over again the other one is a bounce feature so if they fall down on their bottom you can make it a bounce and they fall down and then they magically bounce back up and then they fall down again and then the third feature they added is a what they call long exposure uh, have you ever seen one of those pictures of like a waterfall where the water is kind of like all merged together kind of cloudy and they do that the way they do that is they take a fancy camera and they stick it on a tripod and then they leave the lens open for like three or four seconds so all, as the water's flowing it creates this kind of streaky water and it's very pretty now with live photo effects you can do that just take a live photo and and put it on long exposure and it gives you that magically. And the crazy thing about it is because all of this computational photography Apple's doing, you don't even have to have on a tripod. I, I did this over at Disney where I took a picture of a waterfall and I was just holding my phone. I was trying to hold it still, but you know, I'm a human. My hands are moving around a little bit and the long exposure looks perfect. There's no blurriness to the background and it looks just like I shot it with an SLR or close enough. Um, now these features are built in now. The trick with finding them, though, they're actually kind of hard to find. If you are in a photo, a live photo in your Photos app, swipe up on the photo, and then you can see those effects available to you. So play with those. It's fun. I think we've just accepted that you're the fun one, and I'm not. No, I, I, I'm telling you, you're getting a baby in your life soon, and all a lot of things are going to change for you. you know, you're going to be the cool aunt. I can already see it. So I'm going to be like intentionally like waiting for the baby to fall. It's a she, by the way, waiting for her to fall down to be like, oh, I can take a picture of that and then have her bounce back up. Yeah. In her little baby Janeway costume that you get for her. Okay, so I did. I did get her before before her reveal party, before I knew it was a she. uh, Did you know you can go to Think Geek? Of course, you know, you can go to Think Geek and get little Star Trek onesies. I, You know what I do with my nephews and nieces every time because I I don't see them. uh, Okay, this is weird. They're great nephews and nieces now. Now my my siblings kids are having kids but every time i see them i bring like i go to target bring a little star wars toy just every time right a couple bucks but i am the coolest uncle by far you can do that too katie you can do that okay uh siri uh siri got some updates yeah now is siri really um any smarter though is is the question um, I will tell you, I do like Siri's new voice. Um, Siri does sound much more lifelike, um, much more pleasant to speak to. So that's good. Um, 
Well, let's talk about that just for a second. Okay. Um, so every year Siri gets a little better, but they've taken a lot of effort this year to talk about how Siri is more expressive. And that's the thing. I mean, she's always had a pretty good voice. I, I like the, the, the built in Siri voice, but they've gone really deep down the stack with the way they're, they're assembling the words now by sounds. It's not like um, Siri has the word rainbow in her vocabulary. They didn't have a actress sit down and say rainbow into a microphone but all the different sounds that encompass rainbow are in the, are in Siri. And then it on the fly assembles each individual sound. I forget there's a name for it. I actually listed it in a Max Barkey article and it's a very fancy scientific name, but there's phono something uh, name that you, where you assemble these sounds into words. But now that they're not using individual words, they're using these, these components of words, they can make changes like they can make it go up at the end or they can make it go down or, you know, they can change the expressiveness of it. So Siri will sound more like a human than she ever has. And Apple's been making a big deal about that. But that raises the second question Katie asks is, okay, that's great. She sounds better. Is she any smarter? Well, they've tried to become more predictive in what they've done with Siri. So Siri can now look across different iOS apps. So um, if you search for something in Safari, let's say related to a vacation that you're going to, um, Siri will now remember that and will bring up suggestions in Apple Mail for quick type suggestions related to what you recently searched for. Now, this is all being done on device. It's not going off into the cloud and, and doing all of that. Um and Siri will also make suggestions for other into Apple integrated apps and other apps that are supported uh, with Siri kit for integrations. Um, so Siri now tries to be a little more predictive to to think about what you might want next or what you're really talking about based on context that you've used before in other applications. Yeah. And, and Apple has gone all in with this on device thinking idea. You know, they that's their distinguishing point from Google, you know, which does a lot of this stuff on servers. And Apple says, we don't know anything about you. We're letting everything happen on the device. So uh, you don't have to feel like anything's creepy. And uh, I'm starting to come around on this. I mean, I, for a long time, I thought there's no way they'll ever be as good as Google with all those server farms Google has. And maybe that's still true. I'm not, I'm not sure I'm completely turned around on it, but uh, I do get the idea of not requiring it to go to the internet and being faster thinking on its feet. And that kind of explains to me why this A11 chip is around. And, and I feel like every new iteration of Siri and, and iOS pulls us a little bit further down that road. And uh, I, I'm I'm happy. I'm I'm one of those people. Maybe I'm a Siri optimist. I think you could call me because I'm always trying to make Siri do a little bit more for me. And sometimes I'm disappointed, but sometimes I'm not. And uh, I have definitely not just given up on it like some people have. Yeah. No, I haven't. I haven't given up on Siri. Um, you know, Siri is trying to be more predictive and use ma machine learning, I think, was the big buzzword that they were talking about with with Siri when they introduced iOS 11. And so she's trying to integrate now with more apps. More apps can integrate with Siri. You know, our beloved OmniFocus now has Siri integration. Yeah, well, task management. Siri Kit supports task management. So it's not just OmniFocus, whatever no, I know. Uh, yeah. task manager of your choice is. But I, I send stuff to OmniFocus all the time now with my voice using Siri Kit since I've started using the beta. So it's really great. Another thing it does is translation now, which is which is fun. I, I haven't said anything on the show, but um, I'm going to Europe uh, at the new year, Katie. I knew that. I don't remember if you said something on the show or if you've said something to me, but I'm very excited about that. Yeah. This is the, so Daisy doesn't divorce you trip, right? Uh, 
Not, well, it's in that ballpark. Didn't you say you were you were going to take her before you reached a certain milestone? And you're going like on the super eve of that milestone. Well, next year, uh, I turn fifty. My we have our twenty fifth wedding anniversary. You know, one kid turns twenty one, the other turns sixteen, and my wife's like, you know, all these things are happening, and you still haven't taken me to Europe. I think this would be a great time to do that. So, so we're going to go over there. But I'm, you know, like I'm going to. I've already been testing the translation at dinner. I'm making comments about spicy carrots uh, and then speaking them back in French to my family. They they love me so much. They love me. So Siri's got some more more tools. I think it is a little smarter to answer the question. Uh, Siri is a little smarter. She sounds better. Uh, she hasn't made a monumental jump here as we all would like, but I don't think Siri's ever going to make a monumental jump. I think it's all a question of just continuing to iterate and get better. You you can um, now type to Siri if you want to. Yeah, which makes sense if you're like in a place where you can't talk. Or you don't want Siri to talk back to you. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by Fracture. Fracture is a photo decor company that is out to rescue your favorite images from the digital ether. You know, we take so many photos these days, and with our new fancy iPhones, these photos are better than ever, but these photos are stuck in our phones. Maybe they're on Twitter, maybe they're on Facebook, maybe they're on Instagram, but do we ever really see them? Fracture solves that problem by taking your photos and printing them directly on glass. They add a laser-cut rigid backing so they're ready to display right out of the box, and they even give you the little wall anchor you need to display them. You just upload your photo on the Fracture website, you pick your size, and you're good to go. The Fracture process makes the color and contrast of your photo really pop. I love the way that the Fractures look. I have several in my office. They have a sleek, frameless design. Whether you have a modern decorating style, whether you're more classic, it will match any decor. So you can bring a special memory to life, or you can give it as a unique gift, or decorate your home or business with moments that tell your story. I've used them in my business. I've used them in my home. I've used them as gifts for people. And I've used them as kind of corporate recognition pieces for people. All of Fractures comes with a 60-day happiness guarantee, so you are sure to love each order. And they are handmade in Gainesville, Florida, from U.S.-sourced materials in their carbon-neutral factory. For more information, go to FractureMe.com slash podcast. That will take you to a page where you can pick from all of your favorite podcasts, but you specifically want to mention Mac Power users in their one question survey. It helps support the show. Again, head over to FractureMe.com slash podcast and start turning your digital prints into beautiful pieces of artwork today. Thanks, Fracture, for your kind support of the show. Katie Floyd, one of my favorite features on iOS 11 is lane guidance and maps. We talked about this on our Maps show as one of the reasons to use Google Maps over Apple Maps. And I think someone at Apple was listening to us. I think that's exactly what happened. Tim Cook got, as soon as we finished, he uh, turned off his podcast player and he got Federighi on the horn and said, hey, Mac Power users isn't happy. Fix this. I'm pretty sure that's exactly how it went down. That's the only reason those types of things happen. I am using Apple Maps more often. Um... Unless I'm going someplace really obscure, in which place I, I still default to Google Maps. I don't know if you listened to the talk show last week. John Gruber was talking about the Apple event, and um, apparently Apple was tweaking Apple Maps specifically for people coming to the event. I guess for everybody, but in, the intent for people coming to the event, literally to reroute them around barricades on a day-by-day basis based on what was going on at the campus. And if you uh, used Apple Maps, it would take you exactly where you needed to go. But if you used Google Maps, you're out of luck. 
that's kind of cheating. I mean, it's their campus. <laughs> yeah, know? I'm sure. What I want is for them to do that everywhere. They want to have a system that's always doing that rerouting. And uh, go back and listen to that map show because there were some. Uh, there definitely are some competitors, Apple Maps, that are pretty impressive. But, but the lane guidance issue was a big deal for Apple Maps, and now it works great. The first time I had the beta, and I was driving down the freeway, and it popped up an image showing me exactly which lane I need to be in in a mile uh, to get where I need to go. In it was it was really nice to see that in Apple Maps. Um, they've also added indoor maps for a lot of locations like airports and things like that, which are kind of nice. So they're, they're continuing to move the ball forward with Apple maps. Oh, they're also indoor maps now. Although I will tell you, I think this is extremely limited based on location. I haven't come across any yet. Have you? I was in an airport. I don't remember. I think it was San Jose. So of course, right. But the, um, but the, you know, they just got out of beta. So give them some time. What about the App Store updates? Um, I, I think that's kind of a big deal. Well, I think it's especially a big deal now in light of what we know now in that the latest update to iTunes has removed the App Store. So the only place you're going to be able to access the App Store is on your iOS devices. Yeah, I always felt like um, you know, my biggest app favorite apps are productivity apps. I mean, I make a show called Mac Power Users. What do you think? But the... Um, over the last several years, uh, some of my favorite productivity apps just get buried because there's so many of these games that come out. And, you know, the system where you tease people and get them to give you a few pennies and then they, you get more in-game coins or whatever. Those things make a lot of money and they, they just climb the charts. And as a result, productivity apps get buried in the top lists. And so what they've done now is they've got two different sections of the app store. They've got a games section and they've got an apps section. And the um, the game section is what you think, and the app section is everything else. Uh, I think it's really good, and I, I hope this makes some of my friends and some of my favorite apps a little more visible for people that wouldn't otherwise see them. So let's talk a little bit about messages, unless there are any other updates to the App Store. No. no. Well, I mean, that's that's a big one. Um, so a couple of things have, have come across messages. There's a new interface to messages. So now, uh, you know, it was really clunky before. It was almost they, they had added too much to messages that really made it harder to find things. You looked at the message interface and it was like, gosh, how did I get here and how do I find what I'm trying to do? I just want to send a message. Yeah, I feel like when they built because last year was the big rewrite of messages. I think when they built it, they didn't realize some of us would want 20 sticker packs. Or none. Or none. <laughs> But even have I for, seen any stickers lately, lately no, Katie? No, I don't, I don't need, need to, any stickers. I'm good. I have fallen off the wagon. I we used to we do should it say that there is a Mac Power user. There's a Relay FM sticker pack that does have a Mac Power user sticker. Yeah, I'm going to start sending it to Katie every day. She needs she needs more stickers. Um, it's okay. I'm fine. Um, but I will tell you, as someone who had no third party messaging apps and no stickers installed, it was still a mess for me to navigate sometimes. It wasn't just for people who had to lunch stuff. Um, one of the things that I really like, you've always been able to, but it was a little hidden to leave a conversation, uh, particularly if you were in a conversation with a bunch of people who were particularly chatty. But now one of the things you can do by swiping on a message is you can um, just mute the alerts for a particular message on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, because I've had people who were just don't know when to stop texting me. And um, so now I can just mute their alerts on that particular message thread and not have to hear them anymore. Nice. Is that what you do to me, Katie? You, uh, you swipe me. I'm, I'm going to um, plead the fifth on that one. <laughs> no. uh, one of the things they promised at WWDC, which we haven't seen yet, is this idea of Apple Pay uh, between uh, 
you know, users uh, through messages. So like if we go to lunch together and I owe you $17, I can just give it to you through a message and then it, it hits my Apple Pay money and sends it over. Uh, that didn't launch. So I don't know. I think they've announced that's going to come out with a later update, but we didn't get that one yet. I was hoping to. I was really, really excited about that. I think a lot of people were really excited about that feature. And I don't know what happened with it. Was it maybe they didn't quite have all the deals they thought they were going to in place? Was it a technological issue? Was it a uh, a negotiation issue? Was it a finance issue? Um, I don't know. But apparently they're still working on it. Yeah, I, I think, you know, dealing with people's money, they got to be really careful and they want to get it right. Another feature that they had promised was uh, storing your messages in the cloud. And that actually was working in some of the early betas. And that just guarantees that, uh, number one, uh, you you don't have just one place where you lose your message database. And number two, if you've got multiple devices that you see the same messages and everything in the same place. Uh, I know that was kind of difficult. I was told at WWDC by someone at Apple that that was very difficult to implement, but they thought they had it licked. And then halfway through the beta, they said, no, not quite yet. So um, that's another one I think we're going to see probably soon, but not quite yet. And this is a problem, too. But Apple has to make sure that this is right when they launch it, because if you lose people's text messages, they're going to be very, very upset. I will tell you, I personally don't store any important mess- information in text messages. In fact, I will regularly go through and delete my text messages. Number one, because, you know, you, you can have gigabytes and gigabytes of data in text messages and not realize it. You know, especially if people are sending you attachments. But I treat text messages as very short term information. A lot of people don't. They treat it as long-term information. I want to be able to go back and get that. Uh, a friend of mine just had to have his iPhone replaced because he had some kind of warranty issue, something. I don't know what happened, but he had it swapped out um, and was just devastated when he realized that he came back that he lost some of his text messages. If you can put those in the cloud, that'll solve a lot of problems. Yeah, which is why it has to be right. Um, there are a ton of features that we haven't covered yet. Um, but there are a couple of little miscellaneous features that, that I think probably we should. Um, one that gets a, a lot of attention is the, you know, the emergency SOS feature. And this is also available on the new phones, but you can disable Touch ID and now Face ID on the new iPhone 10. Um, on the, the phones that have a home button, you can um, do that by pressing the home button five times now. So if, if you're in a situation where you want to quickly disable Touch ID, that's how you do it. There's also the screenshots got a lot better. Uh, it used to be that if you ha- hit the uh, sleep-wake button on the side and the home button at the same time, it takes a screenshot. But then it saves the screenshot to your photos library and it just kind of disappears. Now they've done this really cool thing where it just drops the image into the lower left corner of your screen. You can tap on it and there's a bunch of markup tools in there and you can share it. And you can even, um, when you're done, you can share it. After you're done sharing it, you can delete it right there. So uh, I use this all the time when just interacting with some of my friends that make apps and say, hey, why is this button here or not there or something like that. But you could also use it just like you take a fun picture and you maybe you want to stick a mustache on somebody. I don't know. There's there's a lot of uses for that. But uh, I feel like this is one that got got built because the people at Apple needed this so bad that they said, heck with it. Let's just put it in the operating system and share it with everybody. Yeah. And now you don't have to have all those screenshots cluttering your photos album if you don't want it, which is huge. Can I take a minute to talk about Swift Playgrounds? Because this is something we mentioned, I believe, last year when it came out. Or was it two years ago? I think it was just last year when we got Swift Playgrounds. And, you know, we, we gave it some, some time on the show, but didn't really go into it very deeply. 
Uh, I love Swift Playgrounds. It's an app on that you have to download from Apple, and it's a way to teach you how to program in, in Swift. Uh, but it's fun. It's almost like it's the closest thing I have to an addictive video game. And so every, it, it, as you learn incrementally, it gives you harder and harder puzzles. And uh, the, the program you're writing is to make a little guy walk around a maze or jump on dots or collect gems. It's, it's just silly little things, but uh, you use programming, you know, gray matter to, to figure it out. And I've worked my way through all of it. And then this year they came out with three new, um, like a, it's even better at teaching you now. And you can get fairly advanced in learning programming concepts. And I'm not going to like be making an app at any time, but I think it's fun having an understanding of how the stuff works and they put it together and they've really updated nicely with iOS 11. And they've added a whole bunch of components. Like if I ever get my hands on one of those, um, those R2D2 toys made by Sphero, you know, they have one now it's an R2D2. I am shocked that you don't have one yet. Stunned. I am interested. Yeah, but you know what? We're going to Europe. I'm saving money, and you know, we'll see. But I wouldn't be surprised if that shows up under the Christmas tree. Uh, but the um, but there's actually a Swift Playground component for it, so you can write a program to program your R2-D2. And now they just, today as we record this, they've released like an AR kit kind of thing for Swift Playgrounds. So uh, this is going to be, this is kind of fun. And if you're listening to this show, there's a good chance that you may find you know, noodling around in Swift playgrounds is fun for you too. And, and I don't want you to feel like you have to be a programmer to do it. Maybe you're listening to this and you're an insurance adjuster or something, and you've never done a lick of programming. You don't need to, this stuff will show you how to do it. And it's, it really is a fun little escape. So please give it a try. They've made it even better with iOS 11. Let's take a moment and talk about watch OS four. Um, because along with iOS 11, we also got watch OS four, and as we record this, I'm actually running watchOS 4 on my Series 0, also known as the original Apple Watch. Um, David, I know you're running it on a little faster Series 2. It took forever to install it on my Series 0 watch. But I have a feeling part of that could have just been that it was the, you know, dog pile. Everybody go download it on the, on the first day. But once I finally got it running, it, it seemed to be running well. Uh, have you noticed any significant improvement with uh, watchOS 4 in terms of speed and reliability? Yeah. The, uh, first of all, the watch is, is, you know, Apple has got really good at making updates happen fast with all their devices. The watch is the exception. Uh, when you're going to update your watch, just plan on it not working for a couple hours. In fact, I'm I'm looking at my watch mad because I updated it today and I lost two hours of like standing, you know, so my my rings are a mess. I'm going to have to be standing and walking around till late tonight to, to fill my rings because of that update. But anyway, uh, so just plan on that taking a little while. Uh, so what's new in the, the watch OS 4 update? Um, vertical graphics everywhere. In general, in the past, the watch has always gone side to side. Like if you um, if you hit the widget button, it would go side to side. Uh, now everything goes up and down, which I think makes a lot more sense because the wheel goes up and down. It's it's more literal with the watch's interface. Um, they've added a couple things. Uh, I think I'm going to start with the most important, uh, and that's to- Toy Story. Of course, Toy yes. Story faces. Yeah. So so who is who is on your watch right now? Um, I actually am using the combination face, which has Buzz, Woody, and Jesse. So every time I look at it, some different character may pop up and say hello. Yeah, but you can, if you prefer Jesse, then you can just have just Jesse or, or one of the others. So that's cool. 
Um, they also added a kaleidoscope face, which I, I just can't stand. <laughs> when we talked about this at WWC, I said, that looks terrible. And then once I got it on my watch, I'm like, yeah, it looks pretty terrible. Uh, I, I find it hard to like see the actual hands as I'm playing with the kaleidoscope. So I'm not, not a big fan of the kaleidoscope face, but hey, whatever floats your boat. So the face that I was excited about, and I'll tell you, I'm still trying to figure out, uh, is the Siri face. So when you use the Siri face, what it does is it, it will it will show you the time, and then it has um, two small complications, one I turn on for the date and the other one I've turned on for OmniFocus, and then it will show you a series of cards, and it seems to have progressively gotten smarter throughout the day um, based on information that it thinks is important to you. So right now, before we started recording the podcast... Um, it told me that my next event was recording the podcast. This is thankfully the last event that I have today. So right now it tells me um, I, I've got the time I've got that I have two omnifocused tasks I've got left to do. And it tells me um, there's a, a, a news event from Bloomberg, which is interesting. Um, there was an earthquake in Mexico. I don't. I, the reason I say it's interesting, I mean, I, I think it's interesting because I would like to know that, but I don't have anything with Bloomberg on my watch. So it must be pulling this from, from the Apple news app. And it's giving me a stock update on a stock that I own, um, that is up 11 tenths. And I'm like, really, that's, that's not breaking news or anything. And then it's telling me when sunset is and that I have four events tomorrow and that it's currently 91 degrees. Yeah. My 91. What time is it there? It's seven o'clock. Yeah. It's finally cooling down. <sighs> I love California so much. I love California so much. Yeah. So mine has a picture of my kids from 2005 and it's got, you know, a meditation reminder and, and it told me about the earthquake too. So it's, it's an interesting idea. So it's a Siri watch face. Um, it gives you the time and date plus one complication. And then it's supposed to use all that machine learning to figure out something that you may want next. And it's good about appointments, whether, and other uh, types of intelligent notifications. I haven't used this long enough to render opinion yet, but like Katie, I'm going to be running this watch face for a while and, and see how it goes. Um, as always, I feel like when they released the Apple Watch, they weren't, weren't really sure what it would become. And in so many ways, the Apple Watch is an activity monitor. And so many people are, are active people are using the Apple Watch for things like that. And uh, again, that's the focus of Apple Watch with this uh, Watch OS 4 update. Um, there's a couple things they do. Um, the uh, They have uh, an evening push now where it kind of tells you, hey, you're almost there. Keep going. You just need another five minutes of elevated heart rate to fill your ring. So it's kind of like coaching you a little bit. Um, it's got better effects. Like when you fill your rings, the effects now are very impressive and they, they will be for at least two or three more days, <laughs> you know, right? How that goes, right? It, it goes from being really cool to um, unbearable in about a week. Um, they've got uh, a lot of new, a lot of new training support, like cross training. And like, if you go to uh, one of these gyms where they, you know, make you ride the bike for 10 minutes and then jump on the rowing machine and then lift weights, it, they've got more ways to, to record all that better so and that's the thing so i think the activity support is good um i think they tried to make siri better um one of the other things that they really improved with this watch is music um it it's always been kind of madness trying to put music on your watch uh, i i never was able to get it to work really well and every time i wanted to do it it, it took a new whole new learning curve 
So now they have an automatic system where it automatically syncs certain um, playlists to your watch. So if you want to listen to music from your watch now, they have what I think is heavy rotation favorites and new music will automatically uh, rotate to your watch and update all the time. So if you if you got Bluetooth headphones and you've got your watch, you've probably got some good music on there now. It's exciting. I am. Um, I'm curious to see how much faster and how much better Siri is and in, uh, in the new Apple Watch Series three. Yeah, I think that's a processor thing for you in a lot of ways. I think so, because I'm still getting all the time. Hang on, I'll tap you when I'm ready. I, I'll tell you, so the, the tempting thing for me about cellular is not getting calls, but just the idea of having the phone apps and Siri and all that stuff directly connected to the Internet. So they don't have to go through that additional layer with the phone. So I'm super curious to hear your thoughts. In fact, let's talk about that as soon as you get your watch on the show about is it that much faster when you cut the middle man? Well, out? I don't know that I'm going to activate cellular on my watch. Sorry. Well, maybe I, maybe I could. Maybe I could for for the show. I, I will tell you that Verizon, I think, offers a, a three-month trial. So it's probably going to be one of those things where I turn on the three-month trial and then forget about it and just leave it. So it's not going to cost you anything. Just just try it for yeah. us. Uh, famous last words. It's going to cost me $10 a month. We know what it's going to cost. All right. Any um, Anything new with uh, Apple Watch besides the... Uh, we talked a little bit about the headlines that are available on the Siri face. Those are all available other places. Um, Apple Pay is still... Um, is going to be more prominently featured on the watch, but I'm, I'm excited. I, I think iOS 4, I'm sorry, watch OS 4. Gosh, we've got all these operating systems uh, is a nice step forward. I think Apple is, is kind of figuring out what they want to do with the watch now. Well, I feel like watch OS three was a massive improvement last year was the big, where watch got the most attention. And this year, everything feels like kind of refinements, which is okay. Cause I think they generally got it right last year. Um, even after, you know, after using a year, I didn't have that many complaints. So it's a nice update, but it, it's not a change the world update like we got last year on the watch. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. Enter offer code MPU at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace wants to be there for you when you make your next move. So what is that move? Are you going to start an online store? Maybe you're going to get married like Mike Hurley or have a baby, or start a class reunion project. No matter what it is that you're going to do, you're going to want a presence on the internet. And that's what Squarespace is there for. It allows you to create a beautiful, easy to manage website for your next big idea. With a unique domain name and award-winning templates and more, you can't go wrong with Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do whatever your next big idea is. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, and no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Squarespace has got it all covered. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help, and they let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. And all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. Just a few days ago, I received an email from someone asking me how I got MaxSparky.com designed. And I wrote them back and said, it's pretty easy. I took a Squarespace template and then I started making adjustments on my own. And that's what you can do with Squarespace. Even if you're not a programmer or a web guru, you can still make your website look beautiful and you can make changes to those built-in templates in a way that looks nice. Squarespace is also a great way to help a friend build a website. Once you set somebody up with Squarespace and give them just a little bit of training on how the tools work, they're going to be able to manage their site on their own. 
So you're giving your friend a beautiful website and you're getting yourself off the hook of being there to manage it forever. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start with a trial and no credit card required by going to squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up, use the offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for the Mac Power users. So what are you waiting for? Go make your next move with Squarespace. Okay, we're an hour in. I think we can talk about High Sierra now. <laughs> well, I was just saying, we've got 30 minutes left. Um, it's kind of a good thing that High Sierra is not a huge update, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and just like last week, if we run, I don't, this is important. It's a software update. And uh, so if if we don't get everything done, uh, the content for next show is in such that we can we can we can continue High Sierra a little bit into next week, too. We are just breaking all the rules. We're getting old. You know, we're 397 podcasts old. Yeah. Well, we're, we're racing and there's a lot of information to share. So uh, but let's just let's give it the time it deserves and we'll, we'll get it out. Um, overall, High Sierra is another what I call a snow leopard update. You know, it's not, as Katie said, massively changing things above the board, but doing a lot of stuff under the hood. Um, one of the things Craig Federighi said at WWDC is that he asked all the major software teams at Apple, you know, what's the one thing that you would like to fix about your app and, and let the teams kind of come up with a few things. And like, uh, for instance, the Apple mail, uh, the mail database got significantly smaller. They spent time figuring out how to compress the bits down, which is a big deal in the world of SSD and, and drive space issues. So everybody got a chance this year to try and make their apps a little better. But um, more than anything, uh, the thing that this High Sierra will be remembered for in years to come is the year that Apple changed the file system. And it's a big change. Um, Changing over to APFS is a little scary, but we've all done it before. We all did it on our phones last year. No, a couple months ago, at least. Yeah, we didn't even really know it. Uh, Apple did it on our phones pretty much without giving us a lot of warning. Um, uh, but just I guess let's just talk for a minute about what is a file system and, and how does it go together. And there'll be geeks in the audience that are going to have massive complaints the way we simplify things. But I feel like we should have a bell ringing somewhere in here. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, the file system is basically um, how your computer writes data to the drive and understands where things are stored. And it's the file system, you know, and. And we've had the same file system on Apple's devices now for many, many years. Uh, John Syracuse, who's an occasional guest on our show, has written all these articles about how the antiquated file system is the Achilles heel for Apple. And it wasn't that secure. And, and the technology had moved forward a lot in the intervening years. And the question was always, when is Apple going to update that? And last year they announced, no, we have a new file system, the APFS, Apple File System, I think is what it stands for. And they first Im- implemented it um, in one of the dot releases on iOS 10, and they had no problems. Largely, it worked. Um, there was one little hiccup, but I don't want to even want to get into that. We ha- we don't have enough time, but it, they've generally managed that very well. But the thing about the iOS devices is that it's been a lockdown system since day one. Uh, uh, you've you don't there is no even though we have a files app now on iOS, there's no Finder app that allows you to go in and mess around with the root system files. And uh, Apple's Macs have always had that kind of access. So uh, the scarier thing was how do you implement a new file system on Macs that have all kinds of weird customization on them and different apps installed that may or may not follow the rules like most apps do on iOS. 
so uh, this is the time for it, sort of. Um, the uh, the new Apple file system is getting implemented on Macs with SSDs, uh, not on Macs with spinning drives. And if you have a fu- Fusion drive, for instance, you're not going to get it with the High Sierra update. And that's very important to note. It is only being automatically implemented on Macs with SSDs. I think that bears repeating. Yeah. Um, so everybody knows I have a pretty thorough backup system. So I had many backups, but uh, about two months ago, I looked at the little button in the beta. There was a checkbox where you can check the box and say, do you want to update to APFS? And so a couple months ago, I was on my laptop, on one of the, the beta updates to High Sierra and just kind of shrugged my shoulders, said, what the hell? You know, and I clicked the button and installed the APFS on my, my laptop. Uh, so uh, later I did it on my um, my iMac as we got to the very end of the beta system of High Sierra. And um, I have had no problems, so that's a good report. But I think the, the message here is before you click that button, actually, you don't even have a choice as this thing goes public. They aren't going to be asking you. It's just going to be installed if you have an SSD. So before you do the update, um, please, please, please review your backup regimen. And this is uh, something where you also need to review the tools that you're using to make a backup. In fact, we should probably put a link to this in the show notes. Um, uh, Daniel, I'm always forgetting. Dan is I'm forgetting his last name. Ninen or uh, Dan, the guy who writes Super Duper. Great is it guy. Dave Nanian. Dave <laughs> Nanian. Yes. Yeah. Oh, how did I miss that? I'm so sorry, Dave. Dave Nanian. Um, put it a blog post. He says, you know, I'm not entirely sure Super Duper is going to be 100% ready for APFS. Uh, when it comes out, partially because Apple hasn't really told developers what they need to do for APFS. And they're kind of guessing at this point. And I know Carbon Copy Cloner came out with Carbon Copy Cloner version 5. And they're like, nope, we're ready for APSS. You're fine. Um, so I'm not really sure what to believe there. It makes me a little bit nervous. But you're going to want to make sure that not only are your backups ready for APFS and that you've got good backups, but you're kind of reaching a point of no return. You want you want to make sure that your your backups are good, that your backup software is going to support APFS going forward. Um, and this is definitely one where you want to have a shelf backup. Exactly. So so not only make a clone backup, make just, just have multiple copies of your data. I, I don't think anything's going to go wrong with your computer, dear listener. I don't, I don't think so either. I think Apple's done a pretty good job of testing this. And I can tell you from my limited personal experience, I did not repeatedly do the experiment over and over again, but I did update both of my Macs with the APFS with no trouble. And I think that's going to be the experience for everybody. But if one person listening makes a backup because we told them to and they have a problem, it will have been worth spending time talking about this uh, because changing your file system is a big deal. And I, I don't think Apple's going to do it again for probably another 10 years. So just make sure you get it right and, and make a good backup. One of the other things that's really important is to make sure that all of the utilities that you use um, are APFS compatible. And this may not be so important with software like Microsoft Word or those. Well, Word may be another thing we'll talk about later. Um, But particularly any type of utilities that you're doing, that you're doing system level stuff. So if you have any um, utilities that are finding disk corruption or any kind of scanners or I'm pretty sure I don't know if the Clean My Mac stuff has been updated or not. I'm sure they probably are on top of it. But you just want to make sure that you're not using any kind of utilities on your Mac that haven't been updated for APFS. Yes. Yes. And if there's something you need to do, if you're in the middle of a mission critical thing, you know, you've got a big project you're working on for work. And if things go wrong, you get fired. Uh, uh, Then just don't do the update right now. Just just finish that project and then do the update. But 
But for most people, I think you're going to be fine doing it. Make sure you have a backup. So assuming that you did, you do the upgrade, what are you getting with APFS? Um, it's really better in every way. <laughs> I, mean, I was looking, I was trying to find uh, things that the old system was better at, and, and there really isn't. Um, you know, that's the, the Mac OS X journaled uh, format. Uh, so now it's 64-bit. It's faster. It's safer. It, and one of the things the old system does, it didn't do a very good job of verifying rights. So if you wrote something to the file, it didn't always go back to verify that it got written properly, and that caused all sorts of mayhem and chaos. Now it does that. Um, like file copies are instantaneous. So like if I have, a, I'm in the midst of, I'm very close to finishing a book. And so I've got these massive video files and I'm making copies of them and it's an immediate copy. No longer when you make a copy of file, do you get a little progress bar underneath? It's just a copy. And it does that because of APFS, it's essentially sourcing the same bits in two different places. And then as soon as I make a change to one of them, then it writes a copy as it needs it. It's just, it's a much smarter file system. And as a result, it's much faster. So we did have um, a couple of questions from people about APFS. Um, people are, are really concerned, obviously, about their their backup systems. I think we've covered some of that. Um, they're, they're concerned about what's going to happen with their apps. I, I don't know that, I mean, a lot of these questions we don't, we don't have a lot of answers to. Um, I think some of the developers are still trying to to figure this out, but I have not heard any APFS horror stories yet. No, no, me either. And I, w I was in a pretty big community of people testing it uh, with the betas, and I didn't hear of anybody having a problem. But if, if you're really concerned about this, just wait a couple of weeks on the high CR upgrade, because if there is a big problem, we're going to hear about it in the first week. But I think you're going to be fine. Uh, one of the questions we got is, what are you going to do about backup disks? You know, if you've got external storage, I have not converted anything other than my internal drives to to um, APFS. I, I And I'm going to wait for the foreseeable future to worry about putting it anywhere else. So the, the backup drives are still using the old um, file systems. And uh, we'll just I'm just going to kind of take a wait and see approach to external disks. How about you, Katie? Um, I am going to make sure that I'm using it. I'm used carbon copy cloner and I've already upgraded to version five. And my understanding is that is compatible with APFS, but I don't think it actually converts the backup disk to APFS. Well, that's pretty exciting, uh, that Apple has added a new file system. And that's something that only someone like me, a nerd can get excited about, <laughs> but, uh, it, it really kind of helps, uh, push the platform into the future. I'm glad that they did this with the Mac. Everybody's been talking about how they don't pay any attention to the Mac. Um, the, with this one change, this one massive change, they've taken away one of the most vulnerable sections of the Mac OS uh, operating system. And that's the, uh, the file system corruptions and the problems we had with an antiquated file system. So I'm glad to see Apple still investing time and effort in making the Mac great. I'm sure it will come with a whole new set of its own problems, though. We'll see. I don't think so. Honestly, I think they've thought it through. And I think overall, this is going to be a pretty smooth transition. And this is the part that you can mark if I'm wrong. You come back and throw it in my face. Different but. problems. I don't think there are going to be any problems with the APFS transition. I'm just saying 10 years from now, we'll talk. We'll be talking about how we need a new file system. Oh, yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, it'll be because of this, the size or something. You know, as data bits get bigger, then new problems show up. But, but it really is a, a big step up over the prior system. 
I want to take a moment and thank our sponsor, Fujitsu, makers of the great ScanSnap line of scanners. You can learn more about the Fujitsu ScanSnap at budurl.me slash SSMPU. That stands for ScanSnap MPU. Now, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you have heard Dave and I extol the virtues of the Fujitsu ScanSnap scanner. In fact, I'm looking at one on my desk here. What makes ScanSnap so great is the combination of amazing software and first-class hardware. Let's start with their premier scanner, the iX500. This is a full duplex 50-sheet feeder scanner that will connect to your computer either wirelessly or with USB 3.0. This scanner will scan 25 pages per minute either to your computer or directly to mobile devices. You can scan in PDF or JPEG. And it has an enhanced paper feeding system that basically will make your misfeeds a thing of the past. They use enhanced roller separation technology to minimize your jams. If you have a lot of documents to power through, you want the iX500 on your desk. If you're looking for something a little more portable, you may want to check out the S1300i. That scanner will do 12 pages per minute, double-sided scanning on the go. You can fit it in a drawer or stick it in your briefcase. Or for the ultimate in portability, check out the iX100. This will scan a page at 300 dpi in 5.2 seconds and will fit in a glove box, briefcase, or backpack. It weighs only 14 ounces and can be USB powered. But the thing that makes these Fujitsu line of scanners so great is the amazing Fujitsu software. They have dual scan capability that will scan small documents at the same time. You can also scan documents larger than legal size and then automatically stitch them together using the Fujitsu software. Their scanner includes OCR software and they can scan to many cloud services including Dropbox, Evernote, Google Drive and more. You can set up profiles for single scans, batch scans, photo scans, just about anything you want to do, and you can use their custom software to organize business cards and receipts. You can learn more about this amazing line of scanners at budurl.me slash SSMPU, and thanks Fujitsu for your kind support of the show. Okay, another thing that got way better under the hood is image compression. Yeah, and particularly so if you have a newer Mac that can take um, advantage of the new high-efficiency video codec. I think this is H.265. We're, we're always, I always uh, get confused with the numbers now. That's it. It used to be 264. Now it's, it's, it's one more. That's how much better it is. It's one more better, yes. Um, this applies not only to video, but also they are saving uh, photographs with this compression. So, so the, the, the issue Apple is facing is you've got SSDs in people's drives. And by far the biggest data hogs for most people are the pictures they take and the videos they shoot. And how can we allow people to store more data on their devices without having to go to the cloud uh, while camera lenses get bigger and, you know, everything is just getting bigger. Those, those file sizes are still in the stage of life where they're mushrooming. I mean, at some point we're going to get to a point where pictures are going to not get much bigger, I would think, but we're not there yet. So they came up with a new file format and it, I thought I was kind of shocked by this because in my head I was thinking, well, JPEG is it. They're really never going to improve upon that. And Apple says, no, we can make it better. They're claiming they can get 40% better compression with the same quality. And if that's true, then uh, you just saved yourself a ton of space on not only your Mac, but your iPhone and your iPad as well. Apple is, is saying this is the abbreviations for this in, is HEIF and HEVC. It's high efficiency video codec and high efficiency image codec. Um, and so the basically the image codec is is for individual images. Uh, the other one is for video images. And they're not totally replacing JPEGs. Um, but when you export a video or something like that, or um, you export an email, right now they're still going to be um, JPEGs, but under the hood, 
um, it, it could be that other image format that's going to save you more time. More, more space, more space. They're storing it in that format. But I, I can tell you, just like uh, going through the beta, whenever I would share a photo, uh, you would see a dialogue to the extent that it was converting it to JPEG before it sent it out into the world. So we're all going to get a little more space back on our Macs, I think. Did you notice a sign? You have a pretty big video uh, photo library. Yeah, I do. And um, it, it does it does help. So, I mean, and every little bit helps with these SSDs. <laughs> Uh, it is hard. It is hard as you get these bigger images. And the, the third piece of under the hood changes they made was the graphics engine. Uh, Metal 2, they, they added Metal 1, I believe, last year or the year before to Mac. Um, that's Apple's um, graphics processing unit um, language, I guess is the way to put it. Um, now they're using machine learning. I, I think we should have a drinking game. It used to be Terpstra. Now it's got to be machine learning every time we say that. Take a shot. Uh, uh, it, but th this whole thing was designed around bringing kind of next generation graphics processing to the Mac. The, the big example they used for this, uh, when, uh, they did it at WWDC was they had a demo of, of creating a star Wars, uh, virtual reality experience. And I just, you know, I just tuned out as soon as it was star Wars. I couldn't, I don't know what's going on with the technology. I couldn't pay attention, but it's great. And, uh, and not only does it apply to things like, making a Star Wars virtual reality game, but also just the windowing system and the underlying operating system. And I think the the beneficiary of this, they haven't talked about it this way, but in my mind, the beneficiary is getting these super power efficient, low core laptop processors to render, render windows and feel snappier on a laptop. Does that make sense? It does. I think you're going to get a lot of benefit from this from from slow processors as you are on the upper end. One step closer to the holodeck. It does make me wonder what they're going to do. You know, can they, because like the whole idea of the MacBook, you know, without any extra is, is to have a very simple um, uh, fanless machine that doesn't have a big processor in it, but is still efficient and, and snappy for the user. And I think Metal 2 is, is a big change. What would you do if you had a holodeck, Katie? What, 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 what simulation would you prepare? I would become a total... Um derelict to society i would never leave uh, you know the simulation i would prepare is, is the star trek so i would just live there in my holodeck i would live on the enterprise which one actually i'd probably live on voyager that's probably where i would be just in that whole universe that's all i do all day long i'd be like sorry checked out see y'all later if i was going to go into star trek i would go into next generation but i really because as much as i like picard i feel like he wouldn't approve of me i feel like i would disappoint him <laughs> Well, you can reprogram him then, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, I would want him in his pure form, but like I would make fun of his his Earl Grey tea, and then that would be it for me. He'd throw me out the airlock or something. Yeah. So photos also got quite a bit of improvements um, in High Sierra. In fact, um, are, are we going to see um, updates to all of the the applications? We're going to see better editing in terms of the enhancements that you can do. Uh, they finally have figured out the UI a little bit with photos. I know when they did that complete redesign, they, they were fit, figuring things out. But it seems like we're getting more editing capabilities, uh, better filtering. The sidebar is back. Um, yeah, the editing, just to not pass over that too quickly, the editing is much better with photos. Uh, you know, uh, when they first kind of went all in with photos we lost aperture and we lost a lot of the tools aperture had like curves and and color formatting 
so that stuff is slowly creeping back in with this release. It's not fully to the level it was with Aperture, but a lot of it has come back. So um, Photos is, I, I think it's a great solution. I mean, if you're willing to pay a little bit for the online storage, which is something we're going to talk about in a minute because you may not need to anymore, um, the, uh, you know, the Photos application itself is a pretty good place to make changes to pictures. Yeah, and you're also seeing more integration with third-party services. So more integration with services that create photo books, calendars, those types of things. I guess that's generally a good thing. It also gives me some pause, though, as to whether Apple is looking at the future to get out of this game. Because I've, I've done books through other services, and Apple's is by far the best. Yeah, I hope they don't get out of the game. Um the the events are better. I mean, one of the things I've noticed with my normal friends, people who are not geeks and listen to Mac Power users, is a lot of people really, really like the events um, in photos. And the idea is uh, we all take too many pictures. And with the phones in our pocket, there's more opportunities to take pictures. And it's very easy to shoot a bunch of them when you don't have to pay to get them developed. So we've got these massive photo libraries and events are a way to allow you to, you know, find something you just want to look at and like I even see uh, the other night we were just laying in bed. And I was looking over. My wife was just in photos on her phone, looking at all the events. I mean, I think a lot of people do that. So, so there's more of that. Yeah, I know I uh, poo poo this stuff some of the time, but I woke up the other morning and it said you have a new memory available. I said, huh, wonder what that's all about. And it said these are all your San Francisco memories. And you know, I don't live out there. I don't go to San Francisco often. So the only time I go to San Francisco is for Apple related events. I was like, all right, I'm, I'm going to play that. You got me. And it was just so nice to see all those photos from various conferences and events over the years. And it makes a nice little kind of like montage video. It's nice. With some music. Yeah. Um, the other thing they added that that I have been waiting for in photos for a long time is third party editing. So finally. Yeah, exactly. Right. So now when you want to go out to the high end photo editor, you don't have to make a copy of the picture then copy it into Pixelmator and then do the Pixelmator work, then send a copy and get it back into photos. Now you can just, it, it um, round trips it right out of the application It opens it up in whatever app of your choice and you can make the edits and then go back and you've got the update right in photos. This is something that used to be an iPhoto and uh, it has now made its way back onto the Mac. So I'm, I'm happy to say that. Uh, I, I think photos has improved a lot since it first came out. I'm going to, I think I'm going to do a whole new, cause I did a video field guide on it. I think I just have to shoot a whole new video field guide. I've got one outlined, so maybe I'll have news on that in the next two or three months, but the, uh, but photos has come a long way. The, one of the things I'm most excited about in high Sierra is the improvements to Safari. Um, and if you don't want to wait, Safari version 11 is out for people who are running regular old Sierra. Uh, and it brings uh, a lot of updates. Um, one of my favorites is the ability to stop autoplaying videos from most websites. Thank goodness. Um, and it also gives you the ability to configure content blockers, the do not track ability. It just really improves your privacy when browsing the web because before you've had to install and you still can, you know, a whole bunch of third party apps to, you know, try to get people to not be creepy and follow you all around the web and those types of things. Um, but it's, it's nice to see that Apple is really taking this to heart because I got to say, this has really gotten out of hand. Yeah, it's like you go on one website and you click on something like, well, maybe I'll buy that someday. And you look at it, but you move on. And then a week later, you're on a completely different website and you see nothing but ads for that thing. 
That's what they call cross-tracking. I mean, that's one of the one of the things they call it. And Safari now does a better job of kind of stopping that from happening. Yeah, it's also going to be a lot more pleasant to read things in Safari because Safari for a long time has had a reader view, but now you can opt in to get a reader view by default on many websites, which is going to be nice. Yeah, so if there's a website you like, but they're kind of whack-a-mole where they put a bunch of ads up and just make it really hard to read the ad, read the content, you can put it on, on reader view automatically. So anytime you go to that website, it shows up, the text shows up in a nice readable view. I'm going to turn this on so many websites. You can even turn it on for all websites. There's a yes, setting. Yes, I may turn want. it on for all websites. Yeah, I, it, I'll tell you that's not a good idea because some websites don't handle it well, and it's actually more of a pain. But uh, and and frankly, you know, a lot of these people that I'm reading, they make money by having advertisements, and I want to see the ads, and I want their advertisers to know that they're they're getting traffic and and support them. It's not a big deal. But but when when there's a violator, when somebody you know goes a little too far, when they start auto playing video at you, or when they start throwing so much at you that you can't actually read their content, um, Safari has some tools that you can use to to clean it up. What about Siri? Well, Siri on the Mac got a lot of improvements. It now has the more natural voice. Um, and it, I will tell you, I've never used sorry, Siri on the Mac. I, I used it for a little while and then I just turned it off. Uh, it was just not something that I was interested in. Most of the time I'm sitting at my Mac, I'm in an office and there are other people around. I just really don't have the desire to talk to my computer. Yeah, I have. Um, that was my initial reaction to Siri on the Mac as well. Yeah, because everybody was saying, well, with it, I think it was something that it was a Me Too feature they added last year because what else were they going to add? And it, it was an iOS thing that came over to Mac. But uh, I have to say that I, I've been making an effort to use it more often lately. And I am lucky. I, I don't have office mates, so I can talk out loud anytime I want. And there are certain things that I do on my Mac that are faster on Siri. Uh, one of the big ones is I like to listen to music. And Getting to a certain playlist in iTunes takes a lot of clicking and tapping where uh, just starting off with my voice is fine. It, it's much faster. And um, uh, so there, there's two there. There's several things I'm starting to do with Siri on the Mac. And I, like I said, it depends if you're in a, an office environment where you can't talk out loud, then don't worry about it. But you can type to Siri now again. This is like on iOS. You can type to Siri on Mac as well. And um, if you haven't given it a legitimate shot and you're in an environment where it may work for you, think about some of the things you do that kind of are background tasks that take a long time and see if you can't find a way to make Siri do it for you a little faster. And the voice is better, too. She got more natural voice as well. Uh, Mail got um, a little better. Not a whole lot better, but not some of the things that I wanted, but a little bit better. Um, I don't know. I'd say uh, I think you're not giving enough credit. I guess it got more under the hood improvements, which it desperately needed, but not necessarily any significant feature improvements. Uh, okay, so two things that I think. Well, we'll disagree, I guess. Okay, well, well, the 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 database got smaller, which is great, less space. But the two things that's that's tremendous. Yes, the two things I really like is searches. I think much significantly faster on mail, and that's true on iOS too. We didn't mention it because iOS mail was like terrible. It was dog slow, and it's better now. Um, the uh, but on Apple Mail as well, they they um, I think search is better. And they added, if you're a full screen user of Apple Mail, uh, they finally conquered the modal compose problem. It used to be that if you want, if you were in full screen and you wanted to um, 
compose a new message. It was modal. You couldn't actually get back to the old message to see it. Then they did kind of this interim thing where you could minimize a message while you're typing. Now they just, on full screen mode, they'll put a modal box to the right on your full screen. So you have the right side where you're composing and the left side where you've got access to all your mail and the source messages. It took them way too long, but they fixed it. So if you're on a laptop and you use mail in full screen, which is usually where people use mail in full screen, um, it's it's significantly better. All right. Any other any other updates we've missed? I mean, I'm sure there, there's a lot more in in iOS 11 and in High Sierra that we haven't been able to cover. But any big things we've missed? No. I, I mean, I like you said. I think over the next year, tons of new features are going to come out and topics we cover and um, various things. But the uh, but the other thing I'd like to mention is with this release of iOS 11 and High Sierra. Apple is restructuring iCloud storage, and I think this is something worth worth talking about. They uh, they increased the one terabyte plan to two terabytes without any increase in price, which is great. But even better and long overdue is you can now have a family pool of iCloud storage. So one family member can pay ten bucks a month to get two terabytes of storage, and for a lot of families, that is going to be just fine. You know, you can get all your photos in two terabytes for all the different family members and whatever file storage you've got. I, I think that this is going to be a real nice thing for families that are smart enough to figure out how to set it all up. Yes, that's going to be tremendous. I'll tell you one thing I'm still waiting for, and I, I wish this would come, but I think we're taking steps. I pay for two terabytes, I think, two terabytes of iCloud storage, um, but I have t- so much left over. And I don't pay for Apple Music. I really should. I think I'm going to turn that back on soon. But why do I have to pay again for more storage? I have more than enough storage to fit all of my music in, in iCloud. I wish I could just use that storage space that I'm not using for other things. We'll see. I, I think they can get better at this. I mean, uh, I feel like there's two competing wars going on inside Apple. Part of it is they're making so much money off this hardware. I'm sure there's people saying, why can't we make this cheaper, or even free for people? But then... The flip side of it is they're making a lot of money off these um, subscription services and uh, online fees and whatnot, too. And I'm sure there's a whole nother group of people just wants to keep charging us. Uh, but but at least the, the side of angels won enough that, you know, you don't have to buy multiple plants. And I was at that point because the 200 was it's 200 gigabyte was just a little bit short for my wife's photo library and my oldest daughter's. So suddenly I have to deal with either getting them off photos or getting a new photo storage plan for them or paying 10 bucks for each one of them. And now I'm going to be able to get it all in one plan. So it it solves a problem that I was on the verge of having to deal with. And that makes me happy. Yeah, it's going to end up saving a lot of people a lot of money. I think that's a great thing. All right. So there we go. Um, uh, some final thoughts. Uh, I think High Sierra is not a massive update, as we talked about, but the under the hood stuff is important. Uh, more important than usual, do a backup before you install it. Um, that APFS is something that could be just a really bad day for you if it doesn't work out. Although, like I said earlier, I don't think you're going to have a problem. Right. But backup, 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 backup. Uh, what about big thoughts on iOS 11? Now that we've covered that as well. I think it's a great update. I think if you have a device that will support iOS 11, I think this is one of the best iOS updates in years, particularly for iPad users. And we talked a lot, if you missed our show last week or if you fast forwarded because you said, oh, it's all about the Apple event. We talked a lot about iOS for uh, iPad 
at the end of last week's episode. So that might be something if you missed to go back and listen to. But this is a must-have update for iPad users. I think it's a must-have update for all the users. I've been on the beta for a while, and I think people are going to be really happy with iOS 11. Now, it's so great because like when I go out, a lot of times like when I get a little stir crazy, I'll go and work on a contract or a book or something at Starbucks. And I just throw my iPad in my on my on my bike and I go down there. And before there were so many things that I just couldn't do uh, with iOS 10 and iOS 11 fixes nearly all of them. I mean, it's just it is a night and day change for people that want to be productive on iPad. So, so uh, good luck with it. Let us know. And, and of course we miss things, but we do have a feedback show we do every month or two. And we would love to hear from you if there's something in either High Sierra or iOS 11 that you think we should have covered. There's something that uh, you have got in the new operating system you particularly like or dislike. Let us know. We'll share it. All right, so you can find more information about us at our website. That's relay.fm slash MPU. You can also find us on Twitter. The show is at Mac Power Users. I'm at Katie Floyd. David is at Max Sparky. And we have a really active Facebook group, which has been a lot of fun, particularly with all of these announcements coming out. Um, I will warn you, if you want to join the Facebook group, you do have to answer three challenge questions. They're really simple. If you're listening to this podcast, I promise you, you know the answer. Uh, but make sure you don't overlook that. Otherwise, you won't get in. Thanks to our sponsors this week, 1Password, Fracture, Squarespace, and Fujitsu, and we will see you all next time.